Hello, and welcome to the Changing Directions Filmmaker Podcast Series presented by 206.com. Changing Directions is a podcast interview series focused on diverse and emerging filmmakers who are pushing the boundaries of what's possible for women and people of color while creating amazing films. I am your host, Mark Warren, and my guest for this episode is Mallory Ortega, director of The Girl Who Left Home, which is an official selection of the Seattle Asian American Film Festival. Mallory, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being here. The Girl Who Left Home is your first feature film as a director. So first, let me say congratulations on creating it and getting it out there into the world. Thank you. Yeah, it was a it was a fun journey. Now, the story is about a young Filipino American woman who has to return home after her father passes away, just as her career is starting to take off. One thing I really loved about the film is that you chose to tell this story as a musical. And I also love how each song really fits seamlessly into the story. So what made you want to make a musical as your first feature film? I always knew that I wanted to make a musical. I didn't know in what capacity. My background is in theater, and so when I went to USC for grad school for film, I was focusing a lot on film, like straight narrative. And then soon, like maybe like three months in, I was like, I miss theater so much. I miss musicals. Like I just wanted more of that camaraderie and that fun that I experienced in Maryland when I was making, you know, producing theater productions. And so my last year of grad school, I uh, made a musical short called Mango Sticky Rice. And that was my first musical project, yes. And that was like the first film that I set out into film festivals and we won a couple awards. And that also was, you know, it was very important to me and the writer that we cast all Asian Americans. And that kind of, you know, once we did that, once we, you know, produced this fun environment, um, complex, production all those challenges were really fun and i was like you know what i need to i, I want to keep doing this and so i wrote the script with that in mind i was like there has to be there has to be music in this because it's filipino based you know like my family we all sing and i was like there's just no way i can't have music in this you know right, right. and and you know we all just burst out singing and like join each other you know and and our lead actress haven she you know she's the same way her family they're all singers and so it, it felt important to me to to keep that because it is in my everyday life. It's not just because I, you know, love musicals. It's just part of my life. And, you know, I'm so proud of like everything that we've done with the music and, you know, the actors and the whole process. So, you know, it's just always going to be on my mind. Can I turn this into a musical? There's just something about musicals in general as well that like, you can get into a character's mindset and their emotions quicker, you know, because you're allowing them to really speak their thoughts. Whereas a narrative, straight narrative, you know, those are things you want to hide. That's like the tension. And that's like the things that we want to find out about people. But when you allow them to sing and open their mouths in like a very different creative way, you really get to understand them quicker. And it's more emotional, I feel, when you have a wonderful soundtrack complementing that. Oh, absolutely. And you had mentioned it being part of the family and part of the culture for yourself and for Haven. Now, you also have was at least one scene, if not a couple of karaoke singing, which is also a big part of Filipino and just overall Asian American cultures. Was that something that you were really mindful of adding that in specifically? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You know, there's just some tropes that you can't leave out. You right, know? right. Like, I think um, there are a lot of films about the Filipino culture, especially now, you know, and it's just right. like you can't not do it because it's just like a fun 
it's a fun thing for every holiday, birthday, and it breaks the ice, you know, and I feel like that's really important, you know, especially in my, in my, um, in my family and like our galleries, like, you know, like that's the one thing that all, like everyone gets to do, the adults and the kids, you know, <laughs> we all get to sing together and it's just really fun. fun. Oh, that's that's amazing you're able to get that in there and, and like i said all of the songs really fit the movie itself it's not like somebody's just driving and then all of a sudden bursts into song you know everything really it really means something to the movie every single song now unless i'm mistaken you wrote the songs as well didn't you i wrote the lyrics yes okay. and then my composer wrote the music and then i had a co-lyricist with me yeah Oh, nice. Now, the entire cast is pretty fantastic with Haven Everly in the lead role as Christine. Now, she was also making her debut feature film. And then you have Emmy Colagado and then uh, Paolo Montalban in key mm -hmm. roles as well. Now, what was the casting process for this film? Is that they all three of them just seem perfect for these roles? It really was like it was luck. We were looking for at first we were looking for the mother character, Mary. I, I love telling the story. At first, the script, you know, I was thinking that Christine would be late 20s, early 30s. And then the mother character would be like 60s, maybe 70s. And so we were looking at that age range for a long time for the mom because we knew like, okay, Filipino woman who can sing, right? <laughs> right. Like, that's pretty, you know, there aren't obviously a lot out there known to public. So we really were like, okay, we need to find like gems, right? And so we were, we were looking, looking and like, you know, no one was really like giving me Mary vibes, so to speak. And then, yeah. And then suddenly my friend texted me who is, um, he was in the touring Miss Saigon Broadway group. Uh, he texts me, he's like, hey, I have a friend. Her name is Emmy Caligato. I love her. She's Filipino. She's an amazing singer. She has these qualities that I think you're looking for. You know, just look out for her. And I was like, huh, okay. And so then I, um, you know, Emmy, you know, in Malcolm in the Middle, like I love seeing her and watching her. And I was like, well, let's just, let's ask my casting director. And so I was like, hey, like did an Emmy Colorado submit to our project? And they were like, yeah, but we didn't send her video to you because she wasn't of the right age range. And I was like, wow. send it. <laughs> and then when I saw her, I was like, this is Mary, right. you know? And because of that, it shifted all the ages. So now, no, uh, you know, Emmy, it, she looks so young. Like, right. <laughs> so like it shifted everything. So no longer was I looking for 60s, 70s. I was like, oh, okay. So like Mary and Tony are now like 50s, you know, so around there. And then that changed the age range of Christine. So I was like, now I'm actually looking at 20. And Haven, her audition video was just phenomenal like again like once you see them you're like okay like it's them but right. because of like our age range that i was like trying to stick to i was like I can't you know like let me just like think about other people right. but then once emmy was on board then i was like okay let's see haven let's bring her back and then that led us to paolo too like you know and pa obviously paolo is someone that i was like I didn't think I would be able to get, you know, right. he's Prince Charming. Like, right, right. How, how am I going to get this dude? And so, again, because of the whole age shift, like Haven like came to light and then Paolo, you know, came on board. And it was just like, I didn't realize I can have like this dream cast. 
And it's just solely off of one person being like, look at this person. I was like, <laughs> wow, it just changed everything. And yeah, that's how these guys came together. And honestly, everyone else kind of like came through friends. So Liz Casasola is best friends with Emmy and she is a co-founder of Broadway Barcada in New York. And then uh, Laura Nicholas is also friends with Liz Casasola. And everyone knows each other. Paolo knows Liz and Laura and like, yeah, we're they're all connected. It was really lucky lucky casting honestly oh that's great thank you now one of the most interesting things about the story is the culture clash between the younger and older family members and you also spend a lot of time showing filipino culture and traditions like we talked about the karaoke and singing and of course the food which all looked amazing and it also helped to add authenticity to the story so talk about that a little bit of just all those little details of just adding as much culture and tradition as possible into the film Definitely. I mean, for one, we shot at my parents' house, my parents' restaurant. A lot of the locations are friends and family. You know, this was really like a community effort. We didn't have a production designer. And so it was basically me being like, well, it's my parents' house, so let me just move stuff around and make sure we have stuff, you know? And it's just, it's just the setting. It really, like, I didn't have to do much, you know? Like, this is just how we live in our, in our home. But, you know, it's funny, like, my my sister watched the film and she was like, wow, you really, like, you know, Jesus is everywhere in the, <laughs> in the house. Like, you really, like, nailed it. I was like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> Jesus was already there. Right, right. Thanks, mom and dad, you know. <laughs> I will take the credit. Sure, I'll take the credit that, uh, you know, I put in all those details. But really, yeah, yeah. it was the way we lived and it's just the way it was. As far as, like, things that happened, you know, like, the novena, to me, was the most important thing to put in because I think that that is something different that I haven't seen before and you know I think just for me personally being Catholic means very different things to my parents being Catholic and I wanted to show that like discomfort because you know like mindsets change obviously the world is evolving and opinions are evolving and I wanted to at the end of the film wanted to show this just mutual respect of that specifically, you know? So you see the novena and then you see the the funeral scene. It's a very different experience from like a Filipino version of mourning versus, you know, the Jewish community of mourning. And it's something that is always within me that brings contention in family conflicts. You know, like these are core set of beliefs that people are really, really into. and. You know, respectfully, cool, but like respectfully, you know, people have other opinions and beliefs. And so for me, that was important because and and finally, you know, what's crazy is that I wrote this script with the novena in mind, never having actually attended a full novena until a family friend had passed away. And I, you know, we did everything. We did the nine days, we did the rosaries and things like that. And I was like, wow, like this is very powerful. And then to do it for the film and bring like pretty much the same people (laughs) from the novena, they're like, this is really weird. We just did this. I was like, I know, but it really helped bring that environment and that energy in for the actors you know, and, right. and it, what was great was like you know my my family friends were talk to the actors and be like oh yeah this is what we did no 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 we were actually sitting in this room and it helped the actors to like understand and get into that mindset so i think the authenticity really just came from the community itself putting it in like real life 
houses that who are Filipino owned, you know, like this is just how we live. And I feel like that's what elevated a lot of like those small little details. Wow. Now, what is the response you're getting, I guess, specifically from Filipino people and families that have watched the film? Are they really connecting with all of those details? Yeah, you know, I'm like seeing posts on Twitter and Instagram and stuff. And one recent tweet said, wow, I immediately connected to this film. There are so many little things that I have in my home that I have done with my family. <laughs> it's amazing. Everyone needs to watch it. And I, you know, that makes me feel like really good, especially, you know, now that we can't be in festivals in person, you know, it, right. it has been hard knowing what people's reactions are. But when I see like the, those tweets and those social media posts, I'm like, okay, you know what? We did our job. Like we are showing people themselves on screen. And that's so rewarding. Oh, that's amazing. I'm glad you're getting that feedback. Now, one particular scene I wanted to ask you about is when they're getting ready to go out for the night and there's there's the the mom and the daughter and the, the whole getting a lift and the confusion, yeah. you know, that whole scene. So tell me about that scene. Yeah, that was the first scene I wrote. I was still in grad school and I was like, man, I need to have like something after I'm done. I need to have a feature, something just ready, you know, just in case. It was like, I, I don't remember why I was thinking about it, but I was like, I wonder what it would be like if I brought my mom to a bar. Like, <laughs> what would that be like? You know, and then I was like, oh man, she would go crazy if we got into a lift. She'd be like, who is this stranger? Yeah. Why are we getting in the stranger's car? We're going to get kidnapped, you know? And that was... <laughs> And that's what happened. Uh, no, no, we didn't get kidnapped. Yeah. And then, you know, continue further. I'm like, okay, like, where would I take her? I was like, oh, I would take her to the speakeasy bar that I know in downtown LA. Literally, it's in an alley in this metal door. It doesn't look like anything. She'd freak out, you know? And then we would go down this steps and it's like this beautiful speakeasy. She would just be freaking out the whole time. And so that's like, that's where this scene started. And it was just so... It was fun to imagine that and just thinking of like, you know, my mother doesn't drink. And so I was like, man, if I got her like even tipsy, she would open <laughs> up like a book, you know? <laughs> and like, I feel like that's what would give us the opportunity to be open to one another, right? And that's yeah. what happens in the film. Like right. there is this opportunity when finally they could just relax and just like have fun. And, and I just think that it's important to, you know, when you're older with your parents, I feel like it is important to be more open and vice versa. Obviously, that's not going to be for everyone's family dynamic, but, you know, how fun would that be if you can have that? If, if that's not something that's usual in your family dynamic, that your, your parents are open with you, then what an amazing moment to share if it actually happened. And that's what I wanted to create for the film. Oh, no, and that was totally perfect. I'm glad you describe it that way, because that's that's honestly one of my favorite moments of the film, partly because it's hilarious. You know, there's the scene <laughs> getting into the lift and how you describe that. But also at the bar, you know, they do find that common ground. The daughter didn't know that the mom, you know, drank as much as she did, and just everything starts to open up, and they really relate to each other, I think, on a way that I feel like they never had before. And they, their relationship really changes at that point. And I, I really think it's a key moment of the entire story. So I'm glad to find out that that's really the genesis of the whole story as well. So that's very interesting. Thank you for telling that. Now, what was the biggest thing that you learned from making your first feature film? Oh 
great question. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a lot, right? I learned so much. Oh, the biggest thing I learned. One thing I really appreciated that I didn't fully appreciate before was the value of a good first assistant director. If I did not have the first AD that I did, I don't think this film would have been done on time. He is so good. I His name is JB. I met him through Emily Ting, actually, who was oh, really? a consulting okay. producer on the film. Yeah. So Emily Ting is, she is the director of uh, Go Back to China with Anna Akana. And I met her through like mutual contacts. And I uh, was able to be on a couple of her shooting days for Go Back to China in LA. And that's where I met JB. I realized right away, I was like, wow, this guy like really knows how to steer a ship. I like this, you know? I was like, we have the same humor, sensibilities, you know, gold, cool. So yeah, he came on board of the film and yeah, it, it was like, we would shoot, he calls them, um, if time permits, shots. And so somehow we would shoot all these extra shots, extra scenes at the end of the day. I don't know how we did them. Again, we didn't have a set dresser or, or like, or no, we had a set dresser. We didn't have a production designer yeah. or a costume designer, you know, it was like me and my executive producer, Dylan, who would like, you know, kind of do both. And so I don't even know how we were ready with all these <laughs> extra shots that were like scenes from, you know, different parts of the movie, but he was just so good with scheduling. He's very good at like helping me make decisions of like, you know, what to cut or what to combine or what are the moments we really need to look at. I really appreciate that. I appreciate first ADs even more, you know, and it, it really like the type, the person that you hire is very, very important to get your day. Um, you can't just hire, oh, you, you have all these credentials. Cool. No, like you have to like really know this person. I'm really glad I got to see him in action and then hired him because he was amazing. I guess what I learned, I think, I mean, the whole process of creating an independent film is what I learned. When I first wrote this, Crazy Rich Asians wasn't even on a slate, you know, like it wasn't even a thing. And so pitching this film around to my network was difficult, especially as a first time director, you know, like they, they want someone who has the experience, you know, it's a lot to risk to put on a first time director on anything. And then for a Filipino musical, like, <laughs> what is that? You know, I, right, would, right. I would get like, oh, a musical? Like, are there enough? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, there are plenty of people who can sing and are Filipino. <laughs> um, so that's kind of where I, you know, I realized I was like, okay, I have to do this myself. Like I have to take it upon myself. I learned how to open an LLC. I learned about taxes. I learned about production companies. I learned about budgeting and I learned about investments and partners and the whole waterfall. You know, that's the whole making of an independent film is the biggest thing I learned. It's tough. For two years, we were fundraising. You know, we did three Seed and Sparks, which is like Kickstarter, and we were successful in all three, you know, so we raised 60K from those three campaigns. So that was a learning experience too. But you know, when you're like the only, when you're starting and you're the only one that believes in your story and believes in like, yeah, I could do this. It's very hard to keep that mentality of like, I can do this, I can do this, you know? So, it, and, and that was like a span of two years until finally we raised the money to shoot the film. 
and that's when you have more people like supporting you but if i had not done that for the two years you know producers and crew people they come and go you know like they have understandably they have to you know work and hop on different projects but at the end of the day i really believe because i did this independently the people who truly support not just with their words but with their money are the people that want change you know you could donate a dollar listen like you don't have to donate thousands of dollars but like because no one else is doing this for us we have to do it ourselves and that's like it was such a huge thing for me to realize and for me to meet those people with the same mentality means so much and and now you know now that the film is done and we're in festivals those same people are still advocating for that change and are still putting money where their mouth is and now some of them are like making their own stuff you know it's, so it's really incredible to see that and that was really important for me to experience in this independent filmmaking yeah i rambled <laughs> <laughs> no that was a great answer and one of the things that i'm really feeling over the course of all of your answers from the casting to the making of the film to the answer you just gave is that you really depend on a community of people it's really really important to have people like you said who really buy in like literally buy in with spending the money and, and making that commitment so I, i'm glad that you explained it that way because that's so important because all of the different aspects of filming that you described from creating an llc to having an assistant you know director just all there's countless amount of things that that's probably why it was hard to come up with an answer because there's so many answers you know it's yeah. just it, but it really all of it comes down to community and you know who you're working with who would you say is your biggest influence as a filmmaker oh Hayao Miyazaki yeah you know again like back then not a lot of Asian directors right. female directors right yep. I was drawn into filmmaking because of Hayao Miyazaki I watched Spirited Away and just was like, I need to make this my life, you know? And I was in middle school or something when I first watched that movie. Yeah, I was like, it, it just won the Oscar. I mean, I always knew that I wanted to be in filmmaking, but that movie specifically was like, these are the stories that I want to tell, you know? Like young girl character arc is just like amazing, like coming of age and that fantastical, you know, world is just so incredible. I mean, I don't have his imagination or his mind, but having that female character was like so influential to me and for her to be my age, right? And then binging all of his, the word <laughs> binging back then, but like right. literally buying all of the DVDs of all of his <laughs> movies, I was like, this man is amazing, you know? Yeah. Like how incredible, like, and he is all about the details all about the details like one of my favorite moments in spirited away is when sen is putting on her shoe and she like does that thing you know how like oh, your yeah. heel gets stuck yep. he like fixes it and she taps her foot on the ground and i'm like <laughs> I like that's that's real that. life right there it's <laughs> real life and it really it really makes you feel like you're part of that world and so you know like that's kind of like i'm like i want to be that mindful of like this is how people move making girl who left home was like really about the resources right oh well i have these relocations so let me use them but like i would still add stuff to the set to make it really look real and because of those details i guess this goes back to your previous question so christine's bedroom is my old bedroom oh wow and <laughs> yeah and i i had to rearrange the whole room to to make it work but 
it used to be just like bare green walls and I added those florals on the wall, those yeah. decals that are really beautiful. And I was like, if my mom had the chance to like redo my room, but it was when I was younger, what would it be like? So that's kind of like what happened, like with the the set design, but then adding even more like childhood stuff. And like, I think I added a little more like Catholic stuff in the background, but it's those details that right. I really loved about Hayao Miyazaki and that I'm just mindful of. I'm like, what are the details? What are the details? How do you tell a story? with just the set design like if you look at it what clues can you get about this person or the people around it and i think that that's what he does really well and of course his, his storytelling is just incredible he is like the most influential director that i i look up to yeah. oh, absolutely i think that's an excellent choice i would say now who inspires you that's not a filmmaker i guess it would be well there are three people Four people that definitely inspired me for this movie and have been, okay. The people that inspire <laughs> me are recent, you know, up and coming in the uh, in the trending world, so to speak. So Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, oh, obviously yeah. insanely talented. I mean, right. like, when I heard In the Heights like years ago, I was like, what? Like, who is this man, you know? And then, of course, Hamilton. And I think, you know, he's just incredible just because of his drive and, like, his mind and just how, like, quickly he could think on his feet and it just be like, wow, like, I want to be that sharp, you know? Right. And then Pasek and Paul, who are the songwriters for, like, La La Land, Dear Evan Hansen, Greatest Showman, um, you know, like, the way that they simplify their lyrics is just amazing. It's so difficult, you know, like, I have a Dear Evan Hansen book back there, and just studying their lyrics, you know, it's just like, it's such an incredible art form. And also, the way that they were discovered is pretty incredible, too, you know, like, they wanted to be actors, you know, like, on the stage, and then they're like, oh, we're not really getting like the lead roles and so they're like let's just make this fun little musical and like because of that that's how they got big and got hired it just it's insane they're yeah and of course their music is just like so catchy so good they figured it out you know and the last person is brendan yuri from panic at the disco this sounds crazy (laughs) but Obviously, he was in this punk rock band back in the day. But if you listen to, like, he's the last remaining original person in Panic at the Disco. If you listen to all of the albums, he has grown in such an incredible way, vocally and just, like, musically. And now, you know, he's doing, like, he did the punk rock version of the Frozen song, you know, oh, wow. Into the Unknown. And, and his voice is just, like, made for these crazy operas. And he after I got to see him in Kinky Boots live and it's just like this is what he wants to do. I'm like, where is he? And can we partner up and can we like make a musical together? You know, I'm right, like, right. I feel like that's the next thing on his want to do list, you know, and I'm like, can we partner up? Let's make something awesome. And I think overall it's just looking at these people and seeing where they started and how they ended is just that growth is so incredible. And I think that's what's inspiring is like they don't, you know, they're not waiting for anyone. They're not waiting for anyone to tell them what to do. They're just doing it and that's awesome and that's like what makes me excited is when people are just like you know what i have this idea i want to make a musical about (laughs) hamilton but it's rapping you know like insane and and i think that's what's inspiring is like they are all just like let's just do this thing that we have in our mind that we know we want to do and being successful and being noted like in history is really awesome that's the yeah they're inspiring to me (laughs) 
No, absolutely. It's very interesting, all of these people that you're talking about, from the filmmaker inspirations to non-filmmaker inspirations, I can connect those influences to your finished product of the films. It's very interesting to see how you've taken all of those influences and put it into your work. So thank you for speaking on them. That's, that's really good stuff. Now, this question isn't necessarily specifically about the movie, The Girl Who Left Home, but more of just you as a filmmaker trying to break into the industry. But what do you feel is the biggest challenge that you face as a filmmaker? I think I've been very lucky and also very stubborn. <laughs> Again, like I didn't want to wait for someone to tell me yes for the girl who left home. So, you right. know, I did it. I was like, okay, I'll just do it. I know how to make a film. Let me just do it. I think maybe the hardest thing for me, and I think that the Asian community is finally being successful at, is getting our characters, our culture into the mainstream. Right. There are very little characters and actors who are Asian American in any TV show and it's always it's an ongoing joke like where are the Filipinos in these <laughs> medical shows this makes no sense right, right. Yeah, no, that's very true yeah. <laughs> you know so I think that that's our biggest struggle and my biggest struggle is like I don't know how or why it's not happening faster and I think that's why it's so important to me to be producing my own and my friend's work, even if it'll be hard, even if we don't have money. <laughs> because if we don't try, then no one else will do it. And it is becoming more of a norm to see more Asians, South Asians in TV. But film is still just like, why is it not happening in film fast enough, you know? Right. That's kind of like what I'm always wondering. You know, film takes a long time. And film, you need to have the characters literally written in like Asian American or else they probably won't cast or look for an Asian American for those roles. That's just an ongoing struggle that I see and that I am trying to be mindful of and just wanting more of them, more of us to be seen on screen. I'm glad that there are more Asian Americans on TV now. I just, I just wanna see more, yeah. No, absolutely, that's, that's great insight. Thank you for answering that. Now, when you look back on making this movie, what is the number one thing that makes you feel gratitude when you look back on the making of the movie? Oh, we were just all a family. For a first feature, I will say, I don't regret hiring anyone on the crew or cast because we all, it really can't, you know, comes back down to community. I think everyone realized what we were making, what our goal was, and that we just wanted to make something really awesome. Emmy says it a lot. She's like, this is the best film experience I've ever had. And that to me is like, wow, like that is, that makes me feel really good. You know, she's been on a lot of stuff. And uh, for Paolo too, he has been mainly doing a lot of serious roles previous to Girl Who Left Home and even after Girl Who Left Home. And this was an opportunity for him to, you know, shake his funny bone. And he was like, <laughs> wow, I'm funny. I'm like, I know. <laughs> and I think that comes down to trust too. Like, I think everyone really trusted me, which I'm thankful for. And the heads of departments, you know, like my DP, Matt Hollow was, I really depended on him there's so much going on and I was wearing so many hats and I'm thankful for him because I could just be like, 
Matt, I have no idea what's happening. My brain is fried. I need your help. And he's like, cool, you know, and we trusted one another because we talked about it. And same with JB, our first AD. And I think that um, I'm just very grateful for the team for supporting me, for like working on their toes and, you know, understanding, you know, our restrictions with budget or like time. And everyone was just like gung-ho and very flexible about it all. And I'm just so thankful for everyone. They really just like went above and beyond my expectations. And the environment on set is what I hope to continue to bring to the sets and productions in the future. Oh, no, that's great. If you can maintain that family aspect of it and that type of culture, I think you, you'd really, really have something there with any future projects as you grow and expand. So thank you. Now, The Girl Who Left Home had its world premiere at the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival back in September. And you've been in a few film festivals since then, including, you know, the reason why we're talking, the Seattle Asian American Film Festival. So what has the film festival experience been like for you since the premiere, especially given the, the conditions that we've been under this this last year? The festival experience has been very different. With Mango Sticky Rice, you got to go in person. There was that networking and meeting other filmmakers and watching other mm. filmmakers' films, which was so fun and exciting. And uh, when we first premiered with LA Asian, we knew it was going to be difficult to create that experience. But what we did was we made sure that we had like interviews lined up, online streaming, you know, cast, interviews and I think that that helped keep this excitement up and then we would do like watch parties and just try to engage with people online it was you know a new experience like a lot of experimental like stuff like okay is this gonna work we don't know but I think at least focusing on the cast and crew and making sure they felt special and they felt included within the festival was my goal and really important to me you know, Hayden has never, she did not get to, you know, she's the lead of this hey. feature film and she didn't get no. that experience. And I mean, same with, same with everyone, you know, There's a lot of firsts for a lot of people. And it is sad that like they didn't get that experience, but I was like, okay, let's just try to make it as fun and as big as possible. So for the opening night in LA Asian Film Festival, we did a Zoom watch party with all the cast, all the crew, and a lot of our sponsors in Maryland, just us. Oh, wow. And so we all saw each other and we had like our own little red carpet. We made like a backdrop <laughs> and everything. And it was so fun to see everyone. And then we watched the movie together. And then right after the movie, we had an interview lined up with Cinema Sala, a Filipino American film organization that I helped volunteer with. And that felt like as if we were in, you know, a theater. Cause then people, since we advertised it, people who weren't in our private Zoom meeting joined us. And then we had more people to like ask questions or things like oh, that. Wow. So that felt, yeah, that really felt like a nice opening night for our film. From there, you know, we, we do try to keep doing interviews with the cast and crew, whoever reaches out to us. What was really special was uh, the Hawaii International Film Festival. They actually had a hybrid and I did go out to Hawaii and Paolo also went out to Hawaii. So we got to watch the film in a drive-in and meet some of the people that were there. And then we got to see the film in a theater for one screening and, you know, got to have that same meet and greet, a very small meet and greet, but it, it did, that did feel special for us. So we do our best, you know, you kind of have to like work with what you got and just right. like 
you know, try to make it as special as possible. And at the end of the day, it's just like what you said in the beginning was, wow, we need a feature film. Like, it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> yeah. It's really great that you were able to put those type of things together to recreate the festival experience as much as possible. Because you're right, there's really nothing that can replace that traditional film festival experience of being in the theater and interacting with people and sitting down to watch a movie and just that excitement. But it sounds like you're able to, to recreate that as much as, as you possibly could. So that's really great, especially because you're doing that for the cast and crew, you know, not just for yourself and your own experience, but to be able to give that back to them for the hard work that they put in. So I'm glad you're able yeah. to do that. Now, the next opportunity for people to watch the film will be during the Disorient Asian American Film Festival of Oregon. And anyone living in North America, so the U.S. and Canada, will have access to purchase a virtual screening ticket from March 19th to the 28th. So people can go to disorientfilm.org for more info. Now, before we wrap things up, do you have anything that you want to add in about the film or about the festivals or just anything you want to throw out there? So we are actually the opening night movie for Disorient Asian Film Festival. And we're, so that'll be on Friday. And then we're doing a live Q&A with myself, Emmy, Haven, and Paolo on Saturday at 4 p.m. So there's more information about our Q&A, but if you have any questions, if you've seen the movie once or twice or three times, please join us. We would love to have you. Yeah, we're just excited to be able to screen in North America. I had no idea until you just told me right now. That's oh, wow. very exciting. Breaking news. <laughs> Breaking news to Mallory. <laughs> Didn't even know. <laughs> no, that's great. Uh, yeah, I'm happy that an even wider audience will be able to get to see the film. I believe for Seattle Film Festival, it was for the United States, right? Had the opportunity Correct. to see it. So now you're adding Canada to that availability as well. That, that's fantastic. So Mallory, thank you so much. You know, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. And you know, I wish you all the, all the best in the future with your film and, and all your projects you'll have down the road. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's so fun. This is the Changing Directions podcast series featuring Mallory Ortega, director of The Girl Who Left Home. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a review on iTunes, and share on social media. Any way you can support the podcast is very much appreciated. You can find every podcast episode and all of my movie reviews, including my review of The Girl Who Left Home on 206.com. Thank you for listening to the Changing Directions podcast series presented by 206.com. Thank you.